Good morning, church. How we doing? Good. It's a beautiful Sunday in Georgia. If you're in a bad mood, you better have a good reason. This is beautiful weather, and it's March, so God opened up the heavens. Um, we're back in the book of John. We, got, we took a little break in the month of February and talked just more practical stuff. The whole Bible's practical. I, hes- I hesitate to say that, but uh, we talked more about, um, just from a counseling approach, more about everyday issues uh, that we face, um, and I even hesitate to say that because, of course, the Bible addresses those as well. But we are making our way through the book of John, and that's where we are. So if you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 17, we are beginning a four-part series on the high priestly prayer. That is one of, this is one of the deepest, I would say one of the most sublime, just beautiful chapters in the entire Bible. And I know, do I say that a lot? If I do, I really mean it this time. Um, I... We're getting ready to, to, to peer into a conversation between the Son and the Father. It's deep, and I love it. Um, I, I, the way I could really try to explain it, we are, like, for example, the way, this is probably, one of the, probably a lousy way of explaining it, but the only way I can really come up with it. Well, growing up, we only had really one steakhouse in town. It was Texas Roadhouse. I don't know if anybody, where are my Texas Roadhouse people? Okay. All right, we got some in here. Um, I loved it, still love it, but something changed in college. I actually went to go work for Texas Roadhouse as a, as a waiter. And I found out being, working at Texas Roadhouse is much different than going and get your steak at Texas Roadhouse. It's very different. You, you see how it's made. You see how it's served. You see how the, the tea is Filled, I mean, everything. I mean, it's the whole nine yards. It's much different than just sitting down and receiving your food. Now you are preparing the food and you're serving the food. Um, some people might say the, whole, the old adage, you see how the sausage is made. That is how I believe we should approach John 17. We are now taking a look into how God sees salvation. Not us. In us, but God is going to give us a little sneak peek at what it's like from the triune perspective of what happens when God saves sinners. So open your mind a little bit, prepare your mind a little bit, and go. And in some sense, like John Calvin said, don't peek behind the curtain. So it's not as if we can see into the mind of God, but God is giving us just a very sneak peek into the Trinitarian conversation and the will of God when he, when he saves sinners. And that's why I think this is such an incredible passage. Jesus is praying to the Father about the mission that the Father has given him. And this is one of, I would say, it's a personal conversation between the Father and the Son. In the book of John, chapters 6 through 10, you could really, it's a little simplistic when you break up books of the Bible because, it, I mean, the book, you can only, it's never clear cut. But the, chapter 6 through 10 has a lot to do with the identity of God. This is where you find the I am passages. But from chapter 11 to chapter 20, you have a lot to do with Jesus' death and basically unpacking what that means. Jesus wants them to know why he's dying, when he's dying, how he's dying. And we are 
in that little block here in chapter 17. So what we're getting ready to read is what Jesus is saying to the Father in regards to his own death. So if you'll stand for the reading of God's word this morning, we're going we're gonna to unpack the whole chapter, but we're going to take the first five verses this morning. And the Holy Spirit through John says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray. Oh, Father, who is sufficient for these things? Such incredible words uttered by our Lord to you. Father, only your Holy Spirit can teach us to understand these great truths. And Father, we ask that your Spirit come this morning, open our eyes and our minds and our hearts so that we may see the glory of Christ Jesus. So that we can bow and surrender and submit to the perfect authority, will, and wisdom of God. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen. Do you remember in John chapter 12 when Jesus says, Father, glorify thy what? Name. He's doing the exact same thing now. In fact, this is one of the recurring themes in the chapter, or sorry, in the book of John. Jesus is still concerned about the Father's glory. In fact, Jesus has one main concern, and that is that the Father would be glorified in Christ, when Christ accomplishes the work that the Father has given him. This is Jesus' one supreme goal. This is his number one passion. This is Christ's overarching aim to glorify the Father. He loves the Father more than anyone else, anything else. He values the Father more than anything else. The Father's joy is Christ's joy. Therefore, he wants the Father to be glorified first. In fact, look at verse 1. I don't know if we got it up. There it is. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Actually, go back, Chris. Let's go ahead. This is, what, this is the message that I want to give this morning. The Father glorifies the Son for bestowing eternal life only to those whom the Father gives Him. I'm going to say it one more time. The Father glorifies the Son for bestowing eternal life only to those whom the Father gives him. Let's, let's read verse 1 again. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. So the ultimate reason that Jesus died on the cross for our sins was not that he loved sinners. It was the Father's glory. Now, stop. What I just said may strike some of you. I'm going to say it one more time. The most ultimate reason that Jesus died on the cross for our sins was not that he loved sinners. It was the Father's glory first. Now, those two statements are not mutually exclusive. In fact, because the Son loves the Father, he loves you. Because, and I'll say it another way, because you're found in Christ, his beloved, the Father loves you. 
So the son's love for the father overflowing becomes the gospel. If there is no love between the father and the son, there is no gospel. If there is no trinity, then we're not even here. In fact, I could go into that for a long time. But what we see in verse 2 is that Jesus came to declare the gospel to all, but he also came for a chosen people that the Father gave him. Let's read verse 2. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. I told you this this was deep. I told you. This is called the doctrine of unconditional election. The gospel is completely free to all who would believe. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But here's the kicker. Only those who the Father decides to give the Son will actually come and believe in Jesus. The only way that depraved sinners who naturally want nothing to do with God, the only way they come to faith is by the unconditional election of God. Pure grace. I think words like election and predestination scare us a little bit, even though they're found everywhere in the Bible. And I think they would scare us less if we saw them through the lens of two things, sin and the Trinity. And let me explain. In a depraved world where no one wants God, our flesh wants to run away as far as we can from God. Romans chapter 3 says we don't want anything to do with Him. We have not sought Him. In a world where everyone deserves nothing but hell, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have devised a plan to claim and elect people and to draw them into salvation, and that is called the gospel. The Father has chosen an elect people, and He's given authority to the Son over all flesh, and He says... I want you to go down there. I'm putting you in charge. Go find my bride. This is what I came up with. The Father gives an elect people to the Son. The Son gives an eternal life to an elect people. The Spirit raises an elect people to life. I just thought about this. Because, you know, I I try as hard as I can. (laughs) These are the oracles of God. But I freely chose Jesus. God determined that I would freely choose Jesus. If that's a contradiction to you, you're going to have a heck of a time reading the Bible. (laughs) God chose and determined that I would freely choose Him. And I thought, you know, I've always quibbled over that, and we're never going to find the bottom of that. I'm not going to sit here and explain how that happens. But the most I can come up with, I mean, I could make it a dozen examples. I was thinking this morning on the drive here, I saw someone had a, a hummingbird feeder. Hummingbirds are starting to pop up, or will soon. A hummingbird don't want anything to do with me. And I've never found a hummingbird swarming around me or wanting to fly over me or wanting anything from me. But I can get that hummingbird to freely come wherever I want it. How do I do that? I take a big old red stinking can of sugar... And I say, come over here. God drew my heart by my own will. But he said, come. And he called me. And the way he did that was he said, by the rebirth 
by the new birth. He gave me a new heart and I came flying to him. And that's how God gets sinners to believe in Jesus. I used a hummingbird. I don't know if that was a good, good example or not. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said this, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love, so I am forced to accept the great biblical doctrine of election. Only, only, only Spurgeon could say that. If you are in Christ today, if you freely placed your trust in Jesus, it's because the Father claimed you, called you, elected you, the Son, the son came and got you, and the Father told the Son, don't lose that one, that one's mine. Verse 2 is the good news of the gospel. Let's read verse 2. Since you have given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. You know what that means? If you're in Christ today, you're in Christ by Christ's authority, by the Father's appointment and the power of the Holy Spirit. Nobody is going to take me away from God's grace because God's grace is why I'm here standing in grace. The Tods are going through a big popcorn kick right now. I don't know why it is. I think it's because we all really got lazy and we started eating more in the winter and now because popcorn's everywhere. Kelly's, her homemade, what do you call it, kettle corn. Me and the twins were just good old-fashioned uh, Orville Redenbacher. And I'll eat my popcorn, and if my twins hear that I'm popping popcorn, guess who wants popcorn now? And Roman will always beat Sissy there. Sissy's usually, she gets really into her toys. But there's nothing Roman is doing that he can't put down and get popcorn. And he'll come over and go, Daddy, popcorn? I'll go, okay, wait till it's popped. I'll open it up and I'll say, okay, here's yours. And what, what will I say? Go give this one to Sissy. He'll go, okay. He'll grab his first, make sure. And he'll go, and he'll stop. And I'll go get Sissy. And I'll watch him as he goes to give his popcorn to Sissy. And I'll kind of look around. And he'll, before he gets there, he'll eat his first. And then for a split second, my two-year-old, I can tell because I know what sin is like. And he'll, for a split second, I know he's contemplating, Daddy's not here. Sissy's in there. And this is supposed to be Sissy's. But I like popcorn. And he'll split second. But you know what? I'll give it to my son. He'll go give it to Sissy. Sometimes after going looking at me first, making sure I see him. <laughs> when the father gives the son his assignment to go and claim and elect people, the son doesn't cut corners. The son doesn't skip steps. He doesn't lose one soul. He calls his church every single soul that the father gives the son, the son claims. And he doesn't lose one. He says that in John 6. He says not one's going to be plucked. So the son has come to give eternal life. Well, what's eternal life? He defines that in verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God in Jesus. Now, notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say that knowing Jesus is the way to eternal life, even though that's true. He says, this 
is eternal life, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom they have sent. So the gospel is not know God in order to get to heaven. The gospel is know God and begin doing what you will be doing in heaven. To know God is to begin your life. Heaven is a place where redeemed sinners bask in the glory of God by growing in the knowledge of God in Christ. And we do that every single Sunday. And that is our mission as Christians every single day. This is how Jonathan Edwards describes heaven. Every heart is wedded to this spiritual husband. All rejoice in him, the angels recurring, and the angels and saints all love one another. All that glorious society are sincerely united. There is no secret or open enemy among them. Not one heart but is full of love, nor one person who is not beloved. We are in that work today. What's the Lord's Prayer say? On earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, everything we do as a church should demonstrate what the elect are doing in heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your eternal life has begun now. You begin knowing the God of the universe today. Now, here's, 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 here's an idea for you. There is no such thing as an afterlife. Get that word out. I don't know what that is. There is no such thing as an afterlife. There is only life and death. And Jesus says real life begins with knowing Him. Now, of course, heaven, is we will have a more full, more complete, more mature, perfect understanding of God and perfect bliss, perfect love, perfect joy. There will be a resurrection. But a lot of people think that they just live like they want today and then life begins in heaven. But that's not how it works. Heaven is not the resurrection in life. Jesus is the resurrection in life. If you have Jesus, you have life. And the Holy Spirit, when it indwells your heart, that is the beginning. And it just grows. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Look at verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus accomplished the work that the Father gave him. What's the last words he says on the cross? It's finished. There's work to do. I just did it. I'm going home. You know that song? It's, it's good. I don't, I, don't like to, I don't like to bash songs a lot because a lot of them are, you know, well-meaning. I'm, I'm not bashing the song. It's just not correct on one verse. And he thought of me. What does he say? What does he say? Above all. You know that song? Like a rose trampled on the ground. You know what I'm saying? You know that I ain't going to sing no more because my wife's going to make fun of me on the way home. Jesus did not think of you above all. Bobby, that's really hard. Well, he didn't. Who do you think of? The Father. It's finished. He ain't talking to Mary Magdalene. He's talking to the very one who gave him the task he just accomplished. So, Father, it's finished. Here they are. Here's your sheep. I claimed them. I did the work. The work that Jesus did for the Father is restoring and correcting the work that we could not do in Adam. Adam is disobedient. He is given just about as much as Jesus Christ is, minus the deity of God. 
He's given a world. He's given a task. He's given a global mission. And he can't do anything because he can't get over a tree. And then Jesus turns it around and says, I'm taking the world back and then I'm going out. And if you're found in me, you no longer have to be found in Adam. The gospel is a Trinitarian mission planned by the Father, executed by the Son, and finished by the Spirit. The, 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 the triune God cares about my life. In fact, the triune God is personally invested in my life. Everything I do that is good is by God, through God, for God. It's God fixed, it's God word, it's God. It's God. It's God uh, fueled. The love of the triune God for me is an overflow of the love that he has for himself. God loves himself. And that's not selfish because God is triune. When it says, I think the best evidence we have that God is, that there's a plurality in God is God is love. God is love. He's loving himself in the Father and the Son. Some would say the Spirit is the bond of love between the Father and the Son. I'm not going to get into that. And my eternal life begins by knowing that heaven, now, right now, right today, I can begin doing the very thing I'm going to do in heaven, which is plumbing the depths of God. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. That's what Paul says. I'm, I'm right now, aside from the popcorn kick, I'm going through a National Geographic kick. I'm telling y'all, I don't, I stopped exercising in the winter. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I refuse to exercise on a treadmill. I don't know why. I just don't like it. Um, and I'm too cold to run in the winter. So I, what I do is I just um, eat more and I gain weight. It pretty much works for me. And here in the spring, I'll have to kick it up again. Kelly's, you know, she's, she's on, I'm, I'm digressing. So I'm big in a National Geographic kick, and I watched Geogra National Geographic for three or four hours in the last weekend. And I learned two things. Did you know there are over 20,000 islands in the South Pacific? Did you know that? Is that not incredible? I'm sorry, I'm just stunned by that. Well, Kelly wasn't so stunned, but she came home and I told her, and she's like, good, good for you. There's 20,000 islands in the South Pacific. Here's the other thing I learned. Did you know that if you were to hike the Grand Canyon, it would be the same length as to hike the entire state north and south of California? Did you know that? Is that just not amazing? God made these things, and he was like, and we're going to get up there, and he's like, you know I did that? You didn't even know that, did you? If that is the earth that God has made, if that is the created glory that God is responsible for, if these are the small things that God has given us, can you imagine what it's like to plumb the depths of the Creator? To know God is to dive into an ocean. Heaven is not going to church in a boring service and listening to Abby Todd for every day for the rest of eternity. It's basking in the glory of the Creator. And to think that it's boring. My goodness, if you think what he's created is amazing, wait. When you meet in a small group, when you meet in a Sunday school, when we gather uh, as a church and worship, when we serve our community, we are engaging in the very thing we will hopefully be doing forever. 
knowing God. Which it goes to show that knowing God, more about God, studying God's word, growing in our knowledge of God is the most important thing we could be conducting ourselves in this world. This is a little saying that I made. I don't know if it makes sense, but I thought it was nice. The church is not practice for heaven. The church is the beginnings of the kingdom of God. The church is not practice for heaven. The church is the beginnings of the kingdom of God. We are doing eternal things right now. We are engaging in the most amazing work we could possibly be doing when we open up the scriptures, when we learn more about the God who created us and the Savior who saved us. We are doing the most important thing we could possibly be doing. Nothing should take precedence over that church. When we know God, We know ourselves, we know our sin, we know salvation, we know His grace, and we know His glory. This is eternal life. In verse 5, Jesus actually says the very same thing He says in verse 1. Verse 1, He says, Father, the hour has come, glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. In verse 5, He says, Now, Father, glorify Me in Your presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. The gospel is about God's glory. The gospel is about God's unconditional grace. To believe in the gospel, we have to seek after his glory and not our own. We have to seek after his will and not our own. There are two different ways you could respond to this text. There are two different ways, ultimately, to read that God has a people and the Son claims them. You could go, whoa, what? Is that right? God just chooses, why wouldn't he choose everyone? Why would he choose like one person? That can't be God. That's not right. No, it must be something else. Or you can go, why would God choose anyone? Why would God choose anyone when all we deserve is the fires of hell? God's grace should humble us and it should make us worship him. The point of God's election is not to question God's will. The point of God's election is that you would get on your knees and say, Thy will be done. To surrender and submit totally to His authority and His wisdom and not your own. That is the gospel. That is the point. And I'm going to tell you, the more you read the Bible, it it gets harder. God says, keep coming. This morning, if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God gave us Christ, that he died for our sin, he was raised purely by his grace and not anything worthy in yourselves. If you believe that, you can be saved. Now, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, this is eternal life and you can have it now if you would only believe in Christ Jesus. If you've lived your life up till now going, I believe, and I think it's, I mean, my life's not really good, but I at least got the basics and I'm going to go to heaven. That could be sufficient. But God has offered you life today. The Holy Spirit resides in his people today. Christ stands with arms open wide today. Don't wait till heaven to find life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we can have him now. To know Christ is eternal life. Let's pray. Father, these deep, deep truths that you've given us, I pray that we receive them with glad and thankful hearts.
And Father, for the, th- for the rest of the things that we can't figure out, for those complicated matters that we just, we feel so finite. Father, give us the faith to believe your word. Give us the love in our hearts to love Jesus more than ourselves. And give us a fear of your name more than a fear of man. Father, to know you in Christ is eternal life. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who has not bowed the knee to Jesus that they may do so by your power. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.